0: Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 15, and John chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. Uh, You can follow along in your Bible, in the screen above, or on your bulletin on your phone. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. The Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. John John chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. This is the word of God. At this time, we have Pastor Hannah giving us a message today. So can we just give her a warm 1030 welcome?
1: Thank you. Wow. That's awesome. All right. Let me just get set up here. Uh, For those who have never seen me before, I've been around, I'm just always in Edgewater, that's why you never get to see me. I'm the children's pastor at Edgewater, and so by the time we clean up and do our thing over there, I come over to attend the 1 p.m. service, but I never get to see you 10.30, folks. And so, hi, guys, I missed you. (laughs) Um, All right, I'm just gonna get right into it because I'm so sorry, this is a long one, okay? (laughs) I didn't intend it to be, but it just turned out that way. I'm warning you ahead of time. So um, I actually wrote a skeleton of this sermon two years ago. I know you're like, what? I was at a conference, and I felt like the Lord was speaking a word to me about new mercy, specifically new mercy. And I jotted it down. I I have the exact notebook. And I started writing the skeletons of this sermon two years ago. But I kind of made a deal with God. I always have a deal with God, because <laughs> that's how we roll. Um, I said to God, if you give me the perfect time and the perfect opportunity, uh, then I will do it. And um, here I am, two years later. God's timing is so perfect, and I really believe that. And um so here we are okay um we're going through a genesis series i always tend to get these old testament passages not only because i ask for them i love the old testament um but i really um yeah just i love the old testament and this is A Genesis series from a few weeks prior And we have a few more weeks continuing We're going through Genesis Um, And it's about Genesis And it's a series about relationships in Genesis And from today's passage About Cain and Abel You're probably thinking I'm going to preach on what? Probably about what? Siblings? Maybe like family love Or relationship between um, You know like that kind of stuff. I have an older sister and I can tell you a lot about jealousy and competition and also sisterly amazingly love too. Um, But that is not today. We're not going to preach about that today. Um, And I'm sure you kind of get the hint from the Old Testament, the New Testament passage I actually chose to balance out these two things. Uh, Before we start, I just want to open us up in a word of prayer. So let's pray. Lord, I ask for a shift in this space. I pray that you will teach us what it means to take off our shoes and worship to you today. Lord, may we come before you um, literally with our hands open saying we want to receive may we have this kind of posture we ask for your presence may we be greedy for what you have to speak and lord um just me as a person i pray that you will use me as a mouthpiece not to speak the words that i want to speak or my agenda but instead your godly given word uh, may it pierce these brothers and sisters hearts May you speak boldly, sharply, and with so much love, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because you are good. You have a plan. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay. Um, You're probably thinking to yourself, what does the story of Cain and Abel have anything to do with? The story of the New Testament where Mary is pouring oil on Jesus' feet. I chose a New Testament, an Old Testament passage, um, because there's nothing like the old and the new to balance each other out. If you guys like to study the Bible at all by yourselves, um, I think that's a great way to study. Always, um, here's a little tip, okay? scripture should always interpret scripture the old interprets the new the new interprets the old vice versa and it kind of rolls like this and so i wanted to pick two verses while seemingly they don't have much in common actually they weave together very perfectly if you just will come on this little journey with me okay um somebody asked me um before uh they would ask, what is New Mercy's worship culture? Somebody asked me that. And, you know, the craziest thing was I could not articulate very well what our worship culture was at New Mercy. I think we strive for excellence. I think we have great relationships. But I couldn't crystallize in like a distinct way of what our worship culture was. Um, And this is kind of where this sermon came from. It came from my heart, my greediness for new mercy, so that we may be a church that has a worship culture where we worship extravagantly, where we go after God in a lavish way. You know, worship is only birthed out of our relationship with God. So because we have a relationship with God... We worship him, okay? And from these two passages, we're going to look at what worship is. God's relationship to us as worshipers and our relationship to God through worship, okay? These are two passages, like I said, that seem to have nothing in common. But in fact, I want us to, my biggest hope from this sermon is that we can um, grow deeper in a relationship and worship extravagantly. Okay, so let's dive in. When I uh, generally preach sermons, um, I always do things in three points. And if you guys are note takers, I always take um, notes by pen and paper. I know nowadays, like, nobody uses pen and paper anymore. Nobody even carries around a physical Bible. So maybe you're that phone person that likes to put things in your phone, but I always put things in three. Um, so it's easy to remember. So if I leave here to, we leave here today and you can only pick up these three things, ah, you are a winner. Um, okay. Uh, the three things are here from this passage. You learn that worship, it involves firsts, it's costly, and it's extravagant. Those are the three things. Worship involves firsts, it's costly, and it's extravagant. Um, When you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the anthropology of the ancient Near East at the time, there was a very strong emphasis for firstborn children. There's a fancy word that they use for this called primogeniture. Primo, one, get it? Um, Primogeniture, and basically, if you translate the word, it means birthright, okay? So generally, in their society... A firstborn son and sometimes a firstborn daughter received a birthright, okay? And it was very important, these firstborn sons. They had a legal right, they had a very specific role in their society. And we go to see this even through Genesis, it's like a theme all through Genesis. In the Old Testament, you'll see, you keep seeing this um, birthright, this firstborn son importance, okay? Uh, last week was Pastor Key, he preached on Joseph. And the reason why this story was so countercultural, per se, I guess, is that Joseph was not a firstborn son. Yet he received a coat that represented his inheritance, a primogeniture, a birthright for inheritance that he didn't deserve. And that's why the story is so unique. Okay, that was last week. All through Genesis, you're going to see it, Um, this idea of a firstborn son. The story of Esau and Jacob. Esau was a first son. Jacob was a second. And Jacob basically steals the birthright of his the firstborn son. And he steals the birthright by trading him with food. And then in fear, he runs away. Okay? So you see, again, the idea of what it means to be a firstborn son. It continues all through Genesis, like I said, Abraham and Isaac. The reason why it's so... Isaac was to be sacrificed on an altar, but giving up your firstborn son that they waited for so long for was, you know, crazy. So you see this theme over and over and over again. It's not just in Genesis. There's lots of I could give you so many examples of the importance of firstborn sons. Like the plagues on Egypt, the last most severe plague was the killing off of the first sons of Egypt. And the reason why it was such a big deal is because firstborn children, not just in Israel, but in all of that ancient Near East culture was held a significance. Okay? In our passage today in the story of Cain and Abel, it says that Abel brought an offering. He brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Okay? Before this chapter 4... There was no distinction between what was better, a grain offering or an animal offering. Later on in the book of Leviticus, when you read later on in the Bible, there starts to be some kind of rules. They say, give birds for this, give animals for this, offer grains for that. There's a lot of rules that are set in place, but this is the first time you see an offering and there was no distinction. So it doesn't matter whether you give grains or an animal, but there was no order. So they gave an offering, but Abel's offering was pleasing to the Lord because God was looking at the heart of the giver, not just what was given there, okay? And you know what the heart of Abel was. You get those little clues in the text. Abel offered a firstborn. Like I said, firsts are considered important. Um, firstborn of his flock, while Cain only gave some, okay? Okay. Abel's offering of a first, it was a sacrifice before blessings came. So you don't know how many animals your animals are going to produce, but he's giving the firsts. And not just the firsts, but the fatty parts of these first animals. So he's giving before the blessings even come. Okay? It's not just giving firsts, like a literal first, but it's putting God first. So you see in the passage of the New Testament, Mary She could have very easily thought to herself, this is my oil. This is my security. This is my, my, me first. She could have very easily said that, but instead, it was Jesus first. Worship involves firsts, okay? Worship involves firsts, and it's costly, okay? Can you imagine, like, I have a very vivid imagination, and so I'm trying to imagine this scene with Mary sitting at Jesus' feet or hanging out with Jesus. Jesus comes to their home, and this, you know, is the Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who he brought back to um, life, and they're all there, and she comes. And she pours out a pint. And you guys all know what a pint looks like because Ben and Jerry's, pint of ice cream, pint of oil. So he has this pint of oil. But this is not just some regular, like, essential oil. Even essential oils are pretty expensive. But this is expensive. And it was medicinal. It had, like, antibacterial qualities. And there was something special about this oil other than the fact that it was essential oil okay, Um, when I was younger, my dad's answer for everything was Vaseline, okay, so when we have a cut, oh, put Vaseline on it, if you have a wart, Vaseline, I'll have a bruise, Vaseline, anything and everything was Vaseline, okay, that was his, like, go-to bomb, Um, nowadays, it's, (laughs) he has um, fungus cream, he always, like, put the fungus cream on it, it changes, but, you know, this is the kind of, like, that you used nard for. It was used for a lot of different things, medicinal, and it was very expensive, okay? It says that you know that it was a year's worth of wage, this one pint of oil. I looked up the median uh, salary, one-year salary of Bergen County. Not the highest, not the lowest. This is right in the middle. $80,000 is our median salary. Imagine a jar of oil that costs $80,000, I don't even have $80,000 in my bank account, let alone sitting somewhere in my house. Nothing in my house costs $80,000 or that much. And I'm just using a number just because it's a yearly average, okay? But even that, it's the most precious thing she probably owns, the most expensive. And can you imagine Mary pouring this out on Jesus' feet? Worship was more costly to marry than a year's worth of money it didn 't just cost her money but it was also costly in terms of reputation it 's hard to understand what the culture how different it is from our culture right now. It was unheard of for a woman that is not like let's say a fam- a family member or like a spouse of somebody, to touch a man. To touch a man that was not her husband or a family member. It was, you, 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 you just don't do that, okay? But you see Mary, she pours this ridiculously expensive oil on Jesus' feet, and she's wiping it with her hair. It was unheard of. You just don't see this. It was insane, and people it wasn't even in private she wasn't doing it when nobody was looking she had her siblings there there were the disciples were sitting there and there were probably other people there and she's at her feet pouring oil and wiping it down with her hair it was culturally unheard of for her anybody to do this it cost her a reputation her reputation and not just money okay worship is costly um I'm going to, like, tangent into, like, a little thing um, uh, because I think it's important, and I'm going to talk about tithing, okay? Um, Because, you know, God talks about money. Uh, Jesus talks about money more than heaven in the New Testament, if you look, and it's very important. If you're visiting New Mercy today, praise God, thank you for coming. Tithe at your own church. Um, But this is for people who consider New Mercy your home, if you consider this your home church. Um, This is a message for you guys, okay? Um, Every year, we do a giving sermon. uh, And this tithing, giving sermon is literally like the hot potato of sermons. No pastor wants this sermon, because talking about money is very difficult. Even husband and between husband and wife, or even like a child to a parent talking about money is awkward. It's uncomfortable. And so none of the pastors want it. They're all these like, I'll trade you Christmas. I'll trade you Easter. And nobody wants the tithing sermon. Um, but here I am <laughs> giving it. <laughs> um, because I think it's important, okay? Okay. Uh, You know what's really funny? The person that always ends up with the sermon is Pastor Wanje. And you know why? We always go, you've got four kids. You give the sermon. And he generally ends up with that sermon. Um, But this day and age, um, giving a tenth of your salary or your earnings is literally considered insane. And the reason why is it evokes in people a feeling of like, oh my gosh, they're a cult. They want our money. Like, you know what I mean? It irks people, and I get that. Um, but here's the thing. Tithing is a part of our worship. It should be a part of our worship. And a tenth is considered actually not extravagant. It's considered the minimum. Um, Matthew six twenty one says, I like the New Living Translation the best, um, because it says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Are the desires of your heart in godly things? Do you invest in godly things? Mary poured out a jar of oil that costs a year's wage. And people were like, this woman is insane. I was thinking, if I was, this is Mary, Lazarus and Martha are there too. If I was Martha, I would have been like, girl, you are crazy. She didn't calculate. She just poured it out. She poured it out without calculation. She poured it out without fear. Because it was in worship, in worship to our living, living God, okay? I always wonder, what would new mercy look like if we had that kind of worship here? A worship where we didn't calculate and we just poured it out. What kind of church could we or would we be if we measured our church by the quality of our worship versus our financial stability? I want to go to that church. Where is that church? That's the church I want to be at. Okay? I know I can only talk about this money stuff because I too am on the same boat as all of you. I ride the same boat. I took, I drank a few sips of that, you know, Bergen County Kool-Aid. And while it makes me a little bit sick, I still keep sipping away, okay? Just because I'm a pastor and my husband's a pastor, we are not immune to it, okay? And because when it comes to my kids, I'm willing to pour it out, you know? My kids get everything. I'll do anything so that they can have Whatever. But when it comes to God, I too, sometimes I struggle, because it's like, "My precious <laughs> My
0: precious!"
1: You know? I think Tolkien was onto to something. We all get a little like that. Me too. Okay? Worship is costly, and a tenth is not considered over the top, okay? All right, I'm gonna stop there. Tangent over. All right. Uh, so, worship involves firsts, it's costly, and it's extravagant, okay? Pouring a year's worth of perfume oil on somebody's feet, now, that's extravagant, okay? In the passage of Cain and Abel, there was no precedent for any kind of offerings mentioned in the Bible previous, but you see that Abel gives extravagantly what he can, a firstling of some of his flocks, and not just the first, but the fattiest portions, that was his way of worshiping extravagantly. And if you look in the Old Testament, there's a lot of people that worship extravagantly, but one person I always say, like, knows how to worship, and it was um, David. King David was the man after God's own heart. And in the book of 2 Samuel, you see the Ark of the Covenant was wandering around, okay, from different places. And and finally, they brought this Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, the city of David. And there was this crazy party going on in celebration of the Ark coming, coming back, okay? David and all Israel, they were celebrating with their might before the Lord with castanets, Harps, lyres, timbrels, cisterns, and cymbals. Like, there was a list of instruments that they're going. And in today's world, you know what this would be? They had a DJ and they had all the background dancers and a full band with like three drums and the guitar and the bass and literally any instrument the saxes and the trumpets and like, it's like the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl of Super Bowls are happening because the Ark of the Covenant was coming back. So David knew how to worship extravagantly, okay? And it didn't stop there, okay? They brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed, now here's the next thing, he sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After that, see, it's not over. His worship is continuing, okay? After that, he finished sacrificing. Um, He gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israel, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. So it was like, you get a loaf of bread, you get a loaf of bread, you get a loaf of bread, you get some dates, you get some dates, you get some dates. It's kind of like that kind of giving. And I was thinking, I was just like, it's so crazy that today our idea of extravagant giving is Oprah Winfrey. That's so sad that she has to be an example of extravagant giving. But this is the kind of worship that was being poured out. So he knew how to do it. (sighs) What would New Mercy look like if we gave that extravagantly? Don't you want that? I do. Um, the really uh, crazy part and the strange thing about extravagant worship is that people despise extravagant worship. I know we live in this top 1% of the world. And there's some like symptoms of living here. When we live here, um, people are very hyper educated, very well educated, and that's why pastors like Tim Keller would speak to a generation like us because he speaks to our minds. Um, we're very educated. We're self sufficient because we make a certain amount of money, and we desire and can afford comfort and leisure. And these are um, not the only, I guess things that come out of our 1% because we're like the number one top 1% of the world. Um, But rather, because of this, believing, even just believing in Jesus Christ that he died on a cross and rose again for your sins, that message alone is considered insanity in our world. You're considered crazy for believing that. How can you believe that? If you can't explain it, if you can't reason it out, you can't intellectualize it, you can't buy it, and it doesn't bring you any kind of comfort because being a Christian doesn't make you comfortable. If anything, it makes you very uncomfortable, but still, it's awesome. Um, but it's considered insanity. Like, and you see it everywhere in our culture. People despise it because they cannot understand the heart of extravagant worship. Abel did what was pleasing unto the lord and while we don't know like some of the details of his relationship with god his brother out of jealousy killed him for this worship people despise extravagant worship mary poured out a jar of oil on jesus's feet and G- judas he was he was angry you can tell he was just gritting his teeth why wasn't that jar of oil sold to to feed the poor. Why? He despised her worship. You know, remember I was talking about the example of David when the ark came in and David was having this crazy extravagant worship party? Saul's daughter was watching from afar and she saw David and she despised him for it. And in response, David says this to Saul's daughter. He says, it was before the Lord who chose me and appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. He said, worship means this much. But extravagant worship is despised. Jesus took Mary's extravagant worship to the cross with him. You know, it's not like Jesus can change his clothes all the time like we could do today. We can go home, put it in a laundry basket, put on something new. Jesus probably wore the same thing all the time. And can you imagine her extravagant worship of pouring the oil on their feet? It soaked into his clothes. It was probably in the garments. And those are the garments that he was wearing when he was taken away. When he's put on a cross. And he breathed that extravagant worship in to his last breath. People are thought of as crazy to worship extravagantly. It's crazy to give your money. It's crazy to give your time. It's crazy. Now, this is one really, really important thing to remember, okay? When we're talking about firsts and costliness and extravagance, there's no one picture of this. You can't go, this is what it looks like. This is what worship should look like. There, There's no one way, okay? And um, I always say, the difference always is, is that um, even Pastor John and myself, our idea of extravagant worship is very different. My idea of extravagant worship is like, I wanna go to a worship service and I wanna leave tired (laughs) like I just want to like pour it all out and um I always say if we weren't called to New Mercy um to serve here I would love to be at like a crazy charismatic Pentecostal church that would be me I'd be like the flag bearer, changing the flags green red yellow that would be me or I'd be like running up and down the aisle somewhere or like lying down on the ground somewhere or like shaking somewhere (laughs) like that's my idea of extravagant worship and pastor john's idea of extravagant worship is not that but his extravagant worship he pours out in tears and relationships (laughs) extravagant worship looks different for everybody If you are youth group kids, now that you guys are sitting here, you guys don't have money, but you know what? You guys have one of the most precious gifts that you could ever give to the Lord. You know what that is? Time and youth. (laughs) You can give extravagantly to the Lord with your youth and your time. Pour it out. Somebody's extravagant worship is going to look different in different seasons of life. Someone who's young, And single versus somebody that's older or in school, your extravagant worship will look different. Somebody who's married or has children, extravagant worship will look different in all different seasons. Nobody ever really knows what that is. It's only God that sees what that is. You have to know that in the verse of this passage of Cain and Abel, Abel was not the only one that gave worship to the Lord. Cain also offered up an offering. He also gave a grain offering. Okay. Um, in many ways, we're a lot like Cain. Okay, I'm a lot more like Cain than Abel. Cain, if you look at the specific words, he gave some. Some. I'm included in this some category. Uh, this sum all of a sudden became a norm. And we came to a place where some literally became everyday. And giving some has become, oh, that's enough. I came to church on Sunday. That's enough. My kids go to Sunday school. That's enough. I gave my tithe. That's enough. And we reasoned this sum into the norm. God looked at the worshiper's heart. He was looking not just at the offering, but the heart of the offering giver. Now, I'm so practical that I was thinking to myself, okay, so then how do we get this extravagant worship? And I started writing down all these ways. This is how you get extravagant worship. And I started listing it out because I wanted to give you guys some practical tools in order to take with you in order to achieve practical, um, achieve this extravagant worship. And so this is, I literally wrote this down. I wrote extravagant worship. uh, You need holiness, discipline, and a lifestyle of prayer, praise, and thankfulness. And yes, while those things that I wrote down, it could, um, every single thing I listed down, I was able to negate it this quickly. You can't attain holiness. Discipline, while it's very necessary, um, it fosters a spirit of religion and creates Pharisees. Having a lifestyle of prayer, praise, and thanksgiving, yes, they're really awesome things that you should look for and go for, but... They can turn into literal ritual. And the history of the church proves that. There's no way. So where does this extravagant worship come from? Where is it? Ah, now here it is. This is the important part, okay? Um, Have you guys ever seen the movie Fight Club? (laughs) At the end of the movie, Edward Norton's pointing a gun at Brad Pitt. But if you actually look, he's pointing at himself, you know, this is the thing. Here's the trick, guys. Here's the answer. Extravagant worship is a gift that was already given to you. You already have it. By being a son and daughter of Christ, you can access this any single time any place, anywhere, not just church, in your homes. I always say revival, it's a circle that you make and you have to step into it. That's how a revival is birthed. That's how it's born. It starts with you. And it's a gift that you've already been given if you're not so chicken to open it. And a lot of us, we hold this and we go, oh, it's enough that I'm holding the gift and we're so afraid to open it up. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't hire it. You can't conjure it, and you can't coerce it. You can only desire it and open it up. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Um, If you find yourself um, in the sum, I find myself in the season of the sum all the time, okay? Okay? God's not really my priority right now. Um, Right now, you know, this is enough. I came on Sundays. You know, God had a provision for Cain as well. Even though Cain did this crazy act, God still protected him, had a provision for him. He put a mark on him so that nobody would... Touch him, he cursed the ground so that Cain could um, not till the soil anymore, but that wasn't God's intended plan and full plan for Cain the full plan for Cain was not that he had great 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 things that he wanted to unfold in Cain's life and this is the same for you while we may be some of you may be the season of the sum God has something way more extravagant for you because he's not limited to your sum he's the God that can be way more powerful than the sum he'll meet you where you are and he desires you he pursues you he runs after you in a, in a fervor in a passion that we cannot even fathom what it feels like or experience on this planet And that's how he runs after you. He wants you. And he wants something extravagant for your life. If you don't have money, give your time. If you don't have time, maybe the Lord is calling you through extravagant worship by forgiving somebody extravagantly. Maybe that's your worship. Maybe you need to reconcile in a relationship with somebody. That can be your extravagant worship to the Lord. It doesn't have to look like X, Y, Z. But what the Lord is calling you to do in worship, pour it out. Pour it out. Let's pray. Lord. I confess that I'm one person that's always in the sum. Oh, it's enough that I'm just a pastor. It's enough that I just, you know, pray with my kids. It's enough. But Lord, you desire to consume my life. You want to consume every single little particle in me. And you want me to live this extravagant life of worship. And Lord, I lack so much courage. I'm just afraid. I don't want to give it to you because... I'm so gripping onto that pint of oil. I grip onto the things of this world so tightly, and I don't know how to pour it out, Lord. I have this amazing gift, and I barely touch it. So, Lord, only you can do those things in me. Only you can give me a godly desire. Only you can take over. So, Lord, Consume me. Just go for it, Lord. And Lord, I want to extend this prayer out to New Mercy, Lord. This sermon, while it was for me, it was for your church. Lord, may we be a church that's defined by our worship culture. The culture of worshiping extravagantly where we are. Not just the sum, but extravagance. Where we give you our firsts. While, while it might cost us something, we're willing to just lay it out there, Lord. Give us that kind of faith, that kind of heart. Give us that kind of worship, Lord.